0: Take your Bible, if you would, and join me in Ephesians chapter 5. All throughout our book study of Ephesians, we've encountered a specific word. And that word is walk. Walk being used in the book of Ephesians to speak to and address our behavior, our lifestyle, the way we live, the way we, the way we live with the new Christian ethic um, under the lordship and leadership of Christ and the Holy Spirit. This morning we're going to look at a passage, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15. I'm going to read through 21, but we're only going to make it through verse 17. And I'll address 18 through 21 this Wednesday night. Um, this is a message... Straight from the text, taken walking, or that I've just entitled "Walking in Wisdom," Um, Paul's been no stranger of this word um, "walk" throughout his letter, as I've told you. The first time we encountered it, flip backwards if you don't mind. Just as we begin, uh, it was written within the context of how, under how, and under whose influence we lived before. By God's grace, we were saved. Look back at chapter two. You'll notice there in verses 1 and 2, Paul wrote this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Then we've we walked all the way through chapters 1, 2, and 3, and we mined those um, deep roots of theology and doctrine that he shared with us and And then we began to fast forward to the latter half of the book and where where Paul began to transition from rich and deep theology uh, to just such helpful application. And and as he did, he carried that theme of the Christian's walk throughout the end. Bottom line, having been saved by grace through faith in Jesus the Christian is to walk in an entirely different way, right? We've we've seen that. We saw it last week. We saw it two weeks prior, but they're to walk in such a way that would reflect the fact that they've been delivered from darkness into the kingdom of Jesus, the beloved son, the kingdom of light. Um, and I just kind of want to highlight a couple of those instances that we've already encountered with the word walk leading up to our passage this morning. Okay, so now you're in chapter 4, verse 1, where we first encountered it when he turned the page into some practical application. Notice this, he said, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Skip your eyes down to verse 17 of the same chapter, and you'll notice now he's going to tell us how not to walk, right? He said, now this I say and I testify to you in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do who walk in the futility of their minds. And then the passage that Pastor Mark walked us through, chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, where Paul writes, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And then finally, what we saw last week, verse 8 of chapter 5. I'm going to start at verse 7 because it's at the beginning of the sentence. <clears throat> Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord walk as children of the light. So now as we turn the page and as we um, continue in this walk through Ephesians, we draw our attention to this passage starting at verses 15 and going all the way through to 21, where within the first verse of our passage, we come across his, his other commission, his other command, his other instruction. And you kind of got to look for the word walk, It's not a direct statement of saying, walk this way in the translations we're carrying, New American Standard, ESV, um, although it it does in the King James Version, right? So notice what it says here in um, chapter 5, verse 15. Paul's going to offer this command. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. That's where we're headed. Walking wisely by God's grace and the Spirit of God. And um, I'd invite you to pray with me as we jump into this text together. Let's pray. What I'm mindful with the sound of that train that there are just constant... Uh, potential distractions that would seek to rob us from hearing from your word this morning over the next little bit, I pray, Lord, that you would help us, help us to engage our minds and our hearts to hear from you, your word, your gospel, your truth, um, and allow it, Lord, to not only land upon us, but, but be embedded in soil that is fertile uh, for the seed to grow and to um, bring about transformation in all of us. Lord, I need your help to preach, and we need your help to apply what um, you have written to us through your servant Paul. Would you do that, Lord, and would you help us in the midst of that? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read this text in its entirety, verses 15 through 21 of chapter 5. This is the word of the Lord for us, his people. Paul writes, Look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord, and I pray that he will use it in the midst of our lives. I want to walk us through this taking kind of special time just to look at 15, 16, and 17 under this heading, Walk in Wisdom. Paul is instructing us, commanding us. He's giving the admonition to walk in wisdom. Notice how he says it. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. My family loves to watch me watch the America's Funniest Video Show. I confess though it may give you a little portrait into who I am. (laughs) I confess to getting a kick out of people as they open up their front doors with 13 dogs on a leash, way too many things in their hands, and the world covered with a fresh blanket of snow and them being oblivious to the fact that something's probably going to be slippery. You know, the first step on their front steps is going to be the last step. Before they fall to the ground and scatter to the ground. And for some reason, this never gets old to me. And, and it I don't think ever gets old to my family. They may not even be in the room when they see it. Uh, they, they hear that it's on, but they come and they position their chairs not toward the television, but just toward wherever I'm sitting so they can watch. And of course, I'm being a little. I'd like to think that I'm being a little bit um, fictitious about that, but you can ask them to see how close to being truthful that may be. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Listen, Paul's not giving us instructions on how to avoid slipping headlong off the icy front steps, right? But he's giving us crucial instruction. And I want us to kind of lean in and hear this really simple instruction, but he's given us crucial instruction on the way a believer is to leverage his time, and leverage his efforts for the Lord. Notice what he says. Be careful then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. He says, don't walk as unwise, but walk as wise. Here again, Paul sets out, this, this second half of Ephesians is filled with contrasting this to this. And, and this is no exception, right? Here's another contrast where, where Paul's setting out a perfect pictorial contrast. This time this contrast is nothing new to us. All throughout the scriptures, the fool or the foolish, the unwise, the fool is contrasted with the wise. And all throughout the wisdom literature we see these pictures of contrast. Think about Psalm chapter fourteen, verse one. In Psalm 14, verse 1, it says, The fool has says in his heart, there is no God. So kind of by definition, we're saying that the foolish, the fool, as it relates to this picture of contrast, the fool and the wise, are those people that are rejecting God, rejecting his instruction, and they're suffering the consequences that comes with that. And the wise, on the other hand, embraces instruction. They run from folly. They, they seek to apply God's word and God's truth as, as the way in which one is to live. You see this in Proverbs 14, verse 16, just as one potential reference. There, it's just filled over and over throughout the book. But in Proverbs 14, verse 16, it says this, One who is wise is cautious, turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. Listen, Proverbs 1 teaches us that sinners entice. But the whole of the Proverbs, in fact, the whole of the Scriptures, teach us that the fool buys what they're selling to their ruin, to their destruction. And the wise does not buy what they're selling. And in fact, they they run away from what's being sold, and they hold back their foot from the paths of those who would lead them in destruction. We talked a lot about that last week, right? So Paul's carrying on this thing. That's why he's saying, from what he's just said, under the umbrella of imitate God, walk in love, walk in the light. Now he transitions into this and says, look carefully then how you would walk, not as unwise, but as wise. But Paul gets specific. So I've just talked generally, but he speaks specifically with Careful instruction, and actually a specific way in which a wise believer, one who's seeking to walk as a wise believer, will demonstrate godly wisdom. Look down at your passage, and you'll note the uh, first little sub point underneath this first point that I'm going to pull out. And that first sub point is this Redeem the time. So, Paul is giving a specific way in which the, be- the wise believer would demonstrate godly wisdom. And that first way is that he will redeem the time. Notice the language of the text. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Obviously, it's not taking you rocket science to hear what I've read making the best use of the time, and seeing this point that I've put up here on the screen that Xander's fixed for us, and the language on the screen says redeem the time, the language in the text says make the best use of the time. King James Version says redeem the time. All modern translations use, uh, more modern translations use this language that we see in our text, making the best use of the time. Both of these are correct. It's not like one is incorrect and one is a correction of the incorrect. However, the general sense of the word from the original language, it really means this, and that's why the King James held on to the word redeem. It means to, to buy up. In other words, to just like we would see on the slave market in Old Testament times and even early New Testament times where the picture of redemption would be to, to buy back from enslavement. This is exactly what Paul's getting at here. He's saying, listen, buy up. Buy all of the time from anywhere you can get it. Let it be bought and then let it be leveraged and used in a suitable manner, in an aggressive manner, instead of just passively allowing time to slip through your fingers. We've become a society that busies ourselves to the margins. We've, we've become a society that seeks to seize every moment, either for work so we can get more stuff, or leisure so we can play with the stuff that we've earned. But we've left very little time for the things of the Lord. Paul's society that he's speaking into in the first century is really no different, though the eras have changed. Because it's human nature to go hard after that which we want in our flesh and leave behind the things of the Lord. In fact, I would contend that we are a culture that is in bondage to entertainment. In the 80s, a sociologist by the name of Neil Postman wrote a book amusing ourselves to death, and having come to full fruition, we really are that people that does not do well with boredom, intuitively using moments of solitude, silence, and boredom for the sake of our mind and our, our soul and our well-being, but we constantly have to have something either in our hands or in our ears or in front of us or on the calendar, on the go, that will busy us and that will keep us running from places. I I ran yesterday with a couple men downtown Chattanooga, one of which I met for the first time. Knows the Lord, loves the Lord. It was clear within the first mile of what he was talking about. And, And I began to, later on in our run, kind of got quiet and I asked those guys, I said, hey, I'm I'm talking about something in the morning about redeeming, our, redeeming the time as believers. What do you reckon that means? I said. Which sometimes I really want to hear and sometimes I need someone else to talk so I can catch my breath. But this time it was both. And one guy who's just got a soft heart to the Lord said, You know what I realize about myself? Is that I leave no time in my day for Quiet. I get in the car to go from A to B, and something's on. I'm I'm, I'm actually always keeping in my heart, ears, and eyes a level of white noise. And I really know it's not good for my soul or my heart or my growth in the Lord, but it's something that I I do. And I would ask this question of all of us whether it is our busy, overly busy work schedule or our overly busy leisure, leisure schedule. None of which, in and of themselves, those schedules are bad jesus Jesus enjoyed leisure right he 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 found times of solitude and times away. He goes to weddings, parties, those types of things but the the fact that our society seems to be consumed with having to be on the go and go and go and go, and most of those things are kind of inwardly focused that there must be something that is applicable today some 2,000 years post this writing of this letter that is equally applicable to us. Why do we have all the time to do a number of things, but when it comes time for drinking deeply from the living waters of His Word, we only have time to have it playing in the background when we're in the car or from our app or something as we quickly scoot to the next thing and to our next thing on our schedule. So I would contend that in addition to being in bondage to leisure and in bondage to noise and in bondage to entertainment, we all have a tendency to get so caught up in ourselves and the busyness of our demands that we miss out on the opportunities for eternal impact that God places right before us each and every day. So before I proceed... Make sure you don't hear a scold. Make sure you don't hear from me condemnation. But may we all hear the warning sounds of an alarm if this is true of us. Even with the demands of Jesus' life, He prioritized time away with His Father. And He was a master of what I like to refer to as walking slowly through the crowd. Right? A guy named Jairus was a synagogue leader, a ruler in the synagogue. And he, he approached Jesus in the midst of a crowd that Jesus was in. Because everywhere Jesus went, the crowd follows and a crowd flocks, right? And Jairus comes up to Jesus and, and he's desperate. He's, he's begging Jesus. He's imploring him. Please come with me. Come to my home. Lay your hands on my daughter so she could live. And in the midst of that crowd, Jesus agrees. And he started his way toward Jairus' home to be present with his daughter to touch his, touch his daughter and to heal his daughter. But along the way, you know this story. I think I've even talked about this story. But the swell of the crowd continues to grow. And within that crowd is a lady who has been suffering from a sickness for 12 years. Ironically enough, the exact age of Jairus' daughter. But this lady suffering from her illness wants nothing more than to touch Jesus, having exhausted all her other efforts and all the community's help To fix her problem, she seeks to touch Jesus. Because if I can only touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And you know the story. She does. Jesus stops in the midst of the crowd and says, who touched me? And this begins a long... What I would imagine as the father, if I'm Jairus, a long conversation. You know, hey, this is really good that you're having this moment. And I see that that was a very miraculous thing that you did. And I'm glad she's well. But we were headed this way. Could we go? Granted, Jesus is Jesus, right? (laughs) However, I'm convicted of the many opportunities that exist in my day. That because I'm pretty set with tunnel vision to get from A to C, that I miss B in the middle. And Jesus was one who was a master at walking slowly through the crowd. So, here, not only does Jesus, or is Jesus presented as God, but it's also challenging to me to walk slowly through crowds. My family's also pretty convinced that I am the subject of a commercial on the television where young adults are becoming their parents. And there's one. (laughs) There's one where this guy is under special training by the guy who's training him how not to become his parent, right? And they enter into an elevator. Oh, you're from so-and-so. And And he's engaging with all these people in the elevator. And finally, the teacher who's trying to teach these lessons to this guy so he doesn't become his parent says, I want you to look at how everyone is facing toward the door. And you're facing toward them. Let's turn around and face toward the door. And, And they would say, Dad, it's you. It's, it's you. You're facing in the middle. And there's a part of that that's just dad kind of humor, right? But I also want to be wide-eyed open to people in the elevator. I want to be wide-eyed open when I wake up and go to the Y as I did yesterday morning, invited by a guy... Who, lo and behold, invites another friend. And now all of a sudden, I'm I'm running with a few guys. Some of which I don't know. And I don't want to keep conversations of the gospel to myself. I want to be wide open. And if it means walking slowly through the crowd. I want to redeem the time. Why? Well, because the days are evil, he says. We'll get to that in just a moment. But before we do, let me... Let me share something with you that Jonathan Edwards, Jonathan Edwards was instrumental in the 18th century, especially 1734 to 1735 in the midst of the Great Awakening. He is a philosopher and theologian who God used mightily as an instrument in that Great Awakening. Right before he turns 20 years old, he writes out a series of resolutions that by God's grace would be true of his life. And he was going to set them up as... Uh, things that he was striving to incorporate into his life. Number 70 on that list, he writes this. Resolved, never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. Let me mention just a couple of things more before we move on to the next verse. First thing that I'd like to mention about time as Paul is mentioning it, okay? The word that Paul uses for time in this passage is not what we think of when we look at our clocks or our watches. It's not seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks. That that would be the word chronos. Paul uses a unique word here which is called kairos, which doesn't denote the time on our watch, but it denotes a measured time allocated, fixed season, an epoch of time. This is underlined by the fact that he places the definite article in front of the word time. In other words, making the best use of the time. All of us have been given a time. And we're in the midst of that time. And we've also been, we don't know the date of this, but there has been a date set for the end of our time. Even Redeemer Fellowship, for the last year and a half, we've been planted in Katusa County. It marks a measured set of time whereby God in His grace has planted us for such a time as this. And what Paul is saying, redeem the time. Buy up every minute. Buy up every second. Leverage it and use it for the sake of His great name, for the glory of God. That's what wise people do. Wise people who have been redeemed by God's grace. Second thing about time is this. Um, And this has a grip on time, right? There is something that Paul mentions that has a grip on time And it's right there in the text. He says, making the use, best use of time. And then notice this, you might even underline it, because the days are evil. He's not bemoaning the fact that, you know, Ephesus used to be a great place up until that point when so-and-so happened, or such-and-such happened. He's not looking at today wishing for yesterday in the good old days. He's, He's referencing the umbrella of all time since the fall. When our first father and mother chose to rebel against God and they got what God would say would be the result of their rebellion, ushering in sin and death in a bondage to that, whereby all of time is marked by the evidence of the fall. The days are evil. It's not that they're getting progressively evil, though they are, But what Paul is saying is you, Christian, have been given a season, a time. Redeem it. Buy it back. If it means standing backwards in the elevator, I say jokingly, then stand backwards and engage. But it's not just about engagement with people. He goes on to provide a specific way in which we as wise people can redeem the time, and it is not only or limited to being missional, though we should be. But there's something that he prints specifically prior, prior to that. What then are we to do? Thank you for asking, and gaze down at verse 17 for the answer. We're to walk wisely, walk in wisdom. By redeeming the time. And then second, by growing in understanding. By growing in understanding. Notice the language. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It's been fun over the years to watch my kids write papers. And my wife, who is really good at teaching how to write and literature and things like that, also to edit some of those papers. Right, If Paul had reached out by me by phone or text when he was dictating the letter of Ephesians, I might have an editorial critique for him. Whereby I would say, you know, you've started this contrast of wise and unwise, wise and foolish. Why all of a sudden, Paul, are you writing, therefore do not be foolish? Why not finish the sentence this way? Don't be foolish, but be wise. But he doesn't do that, and he doesn't do that on purpose. Notice what he says. But understand what the will of the Lord is. John Walford writes this. He says, only after one understands what pleases the Lord can he carry it out in his life. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, imitate God. We can only imitate Him by God's grace, empowered by the Spirit. I I know those things. I'm, I'm not discounting those things. But we can only imitate God as we know Him and as we know what pleases Him. But hear me, folks, there's good news. And we've sung about it all morning, right? He has given you, Christian, all that you need in order to grow in godliness and the necessary tools to learn and discern His will. Would you turn over to 2 Peter with me? 2 Peter chapter 1. Keep your finger in Ephesians because I'm going to have you turn right back there in just a second. 2 Peter chapter 1 the end of the Bible, if you're new to Bible study, you get to the end, that's revelation and come backwards. there's Jude, first and second, third John, and then right before those are first and second Peter. And in second Peter, chapter one, verse three through seven, listen to what Peter says. "His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. From where do we get those? From his word, his fully revealed, complete word that he's given to us, that his son came in as flesh to embody. So that through them, through what? through His very great and precious promises, the content of His Word from cover to cover, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Believer, Paul is teaching us to redeem the time because the days are evil. How is he instructing us to do that? By growing in discernment, so that we can discern what the will of the Lord is. That's how we'll grow in our ability to imitate him. The wise believer grows in their ability to make the most of their time, to make the most of every moment. You can go back to Ephesians chapter five. While you're turning there, let me share with you the words of Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, where he writes, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus for this is the will of God, your sanctification. From where do we get this food for growth? Paul writes in Second Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen, All scripture is God breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Paul saying, Listen, listen, Church of Ephesus, listen, Redeemer Fellowship, You live in a sin-stained world. Evidence of the fall is all around you. Evidence of the fall is in your own home. Don't take your tutorials for living and understanding from those who are still groping in the darkness. But submit every aspect of your life to the instruction that He's given you through His Word. Grow in discernment. Grow in intelligence, in essence. Don't be foolish but grow in discernment. Can I just challenge you, brothers and sisters, prioritize the consumption of the Word and allow the prioritization of the consumption of the Word be one if not the most integral ways you redeem the time. It's life for those who will live by it. Last week we sang the song Words of Life and in it we quoted the words of Peter who had just been asked by Jesus listen, everybody else is leaving you guys leaving too? And Peter answered Jesus with this great statement Lord to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I'm begging you friends this is not empty talk. I'm begging you not to content yourself with cursory glances at the Bible or simply reading the verse that your Bible app pulls up for you as you're trucking out of the driveway onto work. This is not legalism. This is life. This is food and drink. Respond to the invitation that's found in Isaiah chapter 55 penned by Isaiah given by God where he says come everyone who thirst and we all thirst come everyone who thirst come to the waters and he who has no money come buy and eat come buy wine and milk without money and without price then he asks this question why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy do you hear the ringing of what Paul's saying in Ephesians 5 here Redeem the time. Why are you going hard after things that aren't helping your spirit, your soul, your life, your growth in godliness? Eternity. And then back in Isaiah, listen diligent to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. There's only one point from this sermon this morning. Walking godliness. Godliness. How do we do that? I'm sorry, walk in wisdom. We redeem the time. We grow in discernment. The source from which we grow in discernment is authentically the Bible. But a myriad of things will stand in as competitions for that source. And they'll all be dead ends. They will all lead to ruin few days ago I was at the house that we're having built and the cabinet installer was there. Kind of an exciting day. Things were going in. I I was amazed. I'm I'm personally hanging some cabinets in the pantry and I was just watching these guys to learn how to do that. So I'm getting a tutorial from these guys. I say, "I'm, I'm happy that I'm here while you're doing this. And I'm amazed at how quickly you're going through this. And he says, oh, yeah, we'll be done here, blah, blah, blah. And he took a big old six-foot level, and he made lines on this. He measured this up, and he found the studs behind the wall, and he sticks screws in that thing, and just solid lead anchor. And I just thought we could put the dog food up there. Nothing's going to cause that cabinet to fall. The next day, he's finishing up the next morning, and before he left, I said, just one more lesson help me understand how I'm going to cut this out of the back so it fits over that electrical outlet and then I'm going to hang it up there right in the middle like I've watched you do and all this kind of stuff. And he says, hey, come on in here. We'll just do it real quick. Which is what I was hoping for from day one. <clears throat> but he comes in there and unfortunately the pantry had room to walk for one. There was supplies and equipment and bookshelves behind and there's a sink and a box and all this stuff. So We're kind of tiptoeing over stuff and I'm holding this center cabinet up here. And he's measured 16 inches from this point, finds a place to screw it in, sticks a screw in the bottom of that thing, and he says, that should hold, but let me put one more up there. And I said, okay. He's, he's tottering on a three-step stepladder. And I'm amazed, because it would have taken me a long time to do this. He gets another screw and puts it in, a, I think it's right here. Zip. And then with confidence and great gusto, he says, That'll hold. And I said, awesome. And he reached back to get something that he was going to use to, I guess, put more screws in or something. And he said, you can let go. That'll hold. He said it again. So I had my left hand up on the bottom and the top was laying up and I let go. So did the cabinet. That thing just kind of came backwards on him. I came backwards toward us like this, and now my hand's gone. and it's, It is far too gone, and, and he is on that stepladder. And the, the weight of that thing and his imbalance caused him to fall backwards, thus dislodging my brand-new hot tea, which was on the bookshelf behind it. Mess went everywhere, and I'm just saying, No! Not only giving you building reports, but I do want you to think about something. Related to my pantry. Shan's pantry. I get the yard, she gets the pantry. <laughs> trying to discern God's will, which is what Paul is talking about here as we walk in wisdom. Without a steady, prayerful intake of God's Word is like trying to hold a cabinet up by screwing it into sheetrock with no base of support behind it. When the pressure of weight gets on it, nothing's going to hold it up. Paul's saying, imitate God. Walk in love. Walk in light. It's not finished there. He says, walk in wisdom as you seek to run away from sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. Then he gets to this point. Don't walk as the unwise. Don't walk as foolish. Walk as wise. Walk in godly wisdom. What's the source You will find the stud that'll hold your life steady just like the rock of Jesus that you stand upon when you anchor your footing on Christ and you drill your future and your search and desire to be discerning God's will into something that'll hold. And God's Word is that something. It then will lead us in the midst of this sin-stained world to walk missionally, redeeming the time. It will then give us the direction we need to Make decisions that are God-honoring. But apart from those things, we're groping in the darkness. And God never intended for His people to grope in the darkness, but to live counterculturally under His instruction. You can trust Him. You can rely upon it. Would you pray with me? Look carefully then how you walk not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. As your heads are bowed, can I just ask this question for you? With what is your time filled? Would you be willing to adjust and buy it back for the glory of God? With what is your mind consumed and your heart feeding? Could I challenge you to prioritize and make a steady diet of that which is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, His Holy Word? Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the time that You've given all of us. Would you work in our lives and increase our hunger for your word, increase our hunger for your glory, increase our desire to die to ourselves and redeem and buy back every moment that you've given us so as to leverage it for the sake of your great name. Would you take our lives, Lord, and would you infuse it with your word? And would you take our lives and use it as you will? Because our lives are not our own. We've been bought with a price and adopted and grafted into your family for your glory. I pray these things in the blessed and holy name of Jesus. Amen.